You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. No one who ever lived was able to live their life not committing sin. Only Jesus, the Bible tells us he was without sin. Think about all of the miracles that he had performed. All of these were proofs of his deity, his resurrection from the dead, the changed lives of his followers. But more than anything else, we have the word of God. We have his teachings speaking to our hearts concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, can you explain why? What proof do you have of his existence? Whether you're an expert in apologetics or a new believer with little knowledge or understanding of Scripture and its historical context, if you've experienced our Savior firsthand, you may find it hard to understand how anyone wouldn't believe in him. As Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, even if you can't win any debates with the critics, experiencing Jesus is undeniable proof to your soul. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 as he begins his message, A Church in Decline. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. There Peter tells us, For we did not follow, and he's referring to himself and the apostles, did not follow cunningly devised fables. In other words, they didn't fabricate any of the things that he's writing about here. Gotten together and made up these stories to pass along to other people that keep this thing, Christianity, going. So he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so specifically referring to the second coming of Christ, but rather were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter's referring to that uh, experience when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll talk some more about that in just a moment. For at that time, he, that is Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from heaven, from the excellent glory, and God the Father said this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard, that is Peter, James, and John, and we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Remember, last time together, we were talking about the importance of being put in remembrance of old truths. Like, for example, Christ's ministry 
and the effect of that ministry in our lives. And as we keep those things in our forefront, in our understanding, it keeps us focused upon our goal. That is becoming all that God wants us to become. Now Peter here in this section of chapter 1 goes on and tells us it is also profitable for us to recollect old experiences. That is, for example, what God has done for us in the past. Like, for example, uh, the way that God has provided for us in the past. Uh, all of the miraculous and supernatural ways that God has uh, provided for us. All of the victories that have been won as God has gone before us to fight our battles uh, for us. And all of those things, as we recollect them, it leads it, itself uh, to uh, progress. A great encouragement can be found by looking uh, back. Now listen, Israel knew something about this. When some, for example, when something significant happened in the life of an Israeli back in the Old Testament, they would take stones where that event had taken place, and they would place them one on top of another. And they would refer to that as an altar of remembrance. And then as they left and went on their way, from time to time, they would go back to that place where that significant event had taken place, God providing for them in miraculous ways. And they would go back to that actual location, and it would serve to remind them of what God had done in a significant way within their life. And they would also bring the members of their family. And they use it as a teaching tool as well. So it would serve us well to recollect all of the wonderful things that God has done uh, for us in the past. Those milestones of the past, they become stepping stones to achievements in the future. So anyway, Peter is mindful of this, and so he pauses here in our text to recollect several incidences in his own experience, in his own walk with the Lord, that are worthwhile for all of us to think about. And let, let me also remind you who Peter is speaking to here. He's addressing those who profess to be Christians, but their teachings and their lives denied their profession. So, here's the question. How did the early church degenerate into this sad church? Well, anyway, that's what this message is all about, and it should also serve as a warning to all of us as well. Well, in trying to answer this question, let me offer several suggestions that caused the degeneration of the Christian church. First of all, rather than continuing to be a body of consecrated believers bonded together in the love of God for fellowship, for prayer, the study of the word, and winning the loss, they placed their trust in numbers. You see, their righteousness and what they thought was their being accepted uh, by God was by association. So just on the basis of their being a member of the Christian church, claiming to be a Christian, they thought that they had a right standing before God, that they were accepted by God, all in association on the basis of claiming to be a Christian and being a member of the Christian church. But that in itself is not enough. 
Remember, our Christian experience needs to be a personal one, right? We need to be personally walking and fellowshipping uh, with God in communion uh, with Him. So anyway, this is just one of the ways the devil gets a foothold there within the church. Listen, i got to tell you something. I would rather be the pastor of a church who just has a couple of members who are on fire than Christians, uh, than, you know, uh, pa- uh, Christians who are nominal, being a pastor of a church of thousands who are nominal uh, Christians. So anyway, that's the first way I believe that this church had uh, degenerated. Uh, they failed to continue in the essentials of uh, Christianity. And then secondly, one of the other ways uh, that they had uh, were now on the climb was that they had denied the Word. Now, one of the doctrines that was obviously being neglected, it's quite obvious as you read the text, was the second coming of Christ. Let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 16. Peter tells us, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So obviously, the teaching, this teaching concerning the second coming of Christ, Christ coming back, had been ridiculed and opposed by certain groups within the church. They they suggested that it was only a myth, that it was some kind of a fable. So Peter here is recollecting his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, as I had suggested just a moment ago. Well, let's go back to that uh, text of Scripture that actually depicts that experience of Peter's. It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, so why don't you turn there with me. Chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, 5. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 1 through uh, 5. And there we read, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, that would have been Mount Hermon, uh, there in the area of Caesarea Philippi, and he was transfigured before them. So it's sort of like the disciples were placed in a time capsule and they saw Jesus in his glorified body. So he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And notice also, uh, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking uh, with them. Now Elijah and Moses represent those who would be caught up together with God in the rapture. Well, anyway, then Peter answered, He was so overwhelmed by this experience. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, Peter, old impetuous Peter, so overwhelmed, he really didn't know what to say. So he's really talking at a turn here. Well, anyway, verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed uh, them, and I believe this was a part of the Shekinah glory of God, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, and Peter heard that voice, it was God the Father speaking, and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. You see, Peter, 
and James and John saw Jesus in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, as every eye shall see him when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, as is indicated for us in the Gospel according to Mark in chapter 8, in verse 38. So Peter was an eyewitness of the Lord in all of his magnificent glory. No wonder he wrote about Christ's second coming so frequently. Because as you study the epistles of uh, Peter, his writings, you see that the second coming is a reoccurring theme throughout. So he had a visual foretaste of what is yet to come. But the blessed hope, and that's just another way to refer to the second coming of Christ, that's the way the Bible refers to it as the blessed uh, hope, our blessed uh, hope, to many within the church at this time was nothing more than a cleverly written story, suggesting that it was not, there was no factual basis to it whatsoever. You know, it's quite interesting uh, to me how many of the early church's problems are duplicated in today's churches. Now, why do you think that is so? Well, you got to ask yourself the question, who is behind this sort of thing? It's the devil. And it's the same devil. And it's his, the same, it's his same old uh, game. It's the same old methods. They never change. You see, the devil only has limited uh, tricks to confuse and baffle us. And Paul knew that, and that's the reason why he wrote in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, and verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us because we are not ignorant of his devices. So we're not ignorant of the devices, the ploys of the devil. The devil is a liar, and he is constantly challenging God's word. He's always suggesting when God says something, that he really didn't mean what he said. We see the first example of this in the Garden of Eden. Remember when God gave only a one prohibition to Adam and Eve. He says, all of what is contained within the garden is all for yours to enjoy. But then he gave this one, this one restriction, this one prohibition. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat of it. And the devil comes along and he challenges what God had said. And in Genesis in chapter 3, in verse 4, the devil spoke to them and he said, You shall not surely die. In other words, the devil comes along and he always suggests you can get away with violating God's word. You, will not, you won't have to pay the penalty. But it's not uh, true. And if there is one teaching that the devil is going to oppose, I want you to think about it, it's going to be this one, that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now why is that? Because the, the understanding that Christ could come back for us at any moment has a purifying effect upon Christians. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 3, He that has this hope, that is Christ coming back for his church, purifies himself, even as he is pure. So, if we are anticipating Christ coming back for us at any moment, it will have that purifying effect upon us. So it causes us to be very careful. Knowing Jesus could come at any moment, we're going to be careful 
about doing the will of God, obeying God's commandments. And how can anyone, by the way, refute this truth? Because over and over in the scriptures, it has been substantiated. For example, the book of Hebrews. Let me give you a bunch of cross-references. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24, Jesus himself said in verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, in verse 11, as the disciples were standing around, uh, eyewitnesses of Christ's ascension into heaven, and those angels standing by, and they said to the disciples, Acts chapter 1, and verse 11, the same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And then found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 7, there we are told, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall uh, see him. So how can anyone refute the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ because over and over again, in the Word, it has been substantiated. Now, getting back to the effect of not believing this truth, and this brings us to the third reason why I believe this church was now uh, degenerating. Not only was there false teaching, but there was worldly living. There was gross immorality. No doubt, one's attitude towards Christ's return will be reflected in their manner of a living. And these believers at this time were giving themselves over to selfish pleasures and exploits of this life. Now, uh, concerning the rapture of the church, let's, if you would, turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And there we have the, uh, the uh, record uh, of Paul concerning the rapture of the church, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these uh, words. So here we have the teaching of the subject of the rapture of the church. Christ coming back for his church. And listen, Christians place a high premium upon this uh, teaching. It is, uh, a great emphasis is placed upon it, as you know. And if you read the entire chapter leading up to verses 16 through 18, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first 12 verses, the theme that is being advanced there leading up to the rapture is holiness of life. And I think that this is significant. So Paul gives us these detailed admonitions concerning the purification of our hearts in anticipation of Christ's return. So, if we believe Jesus is coming back, we shall live each day until he returns in a manner that will please and honor him. Now, the other truth that was under attack 
was the deity of Jesus Christ. But notice here, let's go back to our text. Peter's argument is clear. It's concise. It's conclusive. He says, I was there. He saw. He knew. It wasn't a dream, but a first-hand experience. Let's go back to the latter part of verse uh, 16 and uh, 17 and read that one more time. Notice he says in verse 16, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well uh, pleased. And so he actually heard the voice of God, declaring Christ to be the Son of God, and he saw Jesus in his glorified state. No wonder he was willing to die a martyr's death. Now, tradition tells us that when Peter was taken, and when he was to be crucified, he thought that it wasn't right for him to be put to death in the same manner as his Lord and Savior. So when they were about to crucify him, and that was the way that the Romans uh, put their prisoners to uh, death through crucifixion, he requested and they granted that he would be crucified upside down. And so that's what we're told by uh, tradition, what had taken place in Peter's death. You know, it's been said that hardly a man or a woman would die for the truth, but they would never die for a lie. So this is exactly what, what Peter uh, did. He absolutely believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was a deity. But what proofs uh, do we have uh, of the deity of Christ? Well, think about it. We have the record of his sinless life. No one who ever lived was able to live their life not committing sin. Only Jesus, the Bible tells us he was without sin. Think about all of the miracles that he had performed. All of these were proofs of his deity, his resurrection from the dead, the changed lives of his followers. But more than anything else, we have the word of God. We have his teachings speaking to our hearts concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. For example, turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel in chapter 1. And let me cross-reference this uh, for you with a couple of verses. John chapter 1 and verse 1, right there in the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, jump ahead to verse 14. And there we are told, And the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be Oh my As we study the book of Second Peter together, we pray it has encouraged you to mature in your faith. Growing in any capacity can be both exciting and difficult, but always necessary. One way to grow is to tune into programs like this. Great job! You've been listening to In My Father's House, and we're so glad you tuned in to hear today's teaching with Pastor Mike. 
To listen to today's message again or to hear more from Pastor Mike, just search for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. You can also find us on media via Facebook and Instagram to keep up to date on our day-to-day happenings. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions to our easy access point at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday evening service, so everyone has a chance to attend, even if you can't make it in person. If this broadcast has been an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in today. Pastor Mike has much more to share from the book of 2 Peter, so be sure to join us again next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I